0: Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenthal. I'm
1: now
2: lost in the supermarket. I can no longer shop at the I came
0: in here for a special outcome. County personality. I don't do well in crowds. Maybe it's the result of my childhood where I seem to lose my mom in department stores on a monthly basis, or maybe it's because I just get overwhelmed by all the noise. Either way, I've always been fascinated by the idea of going to the world's largest natural products expo, but thus far, I've been too afraid to actually take the plunge. Luckily, This week, Cousin David and Podchapa South Africa correspondent Dana Smirin agreed to travel to the shadow of Disney's Matterhorn in Anaheim, California to go where I could not, the Natural Products Expo. What began in 1981 as a crunchy granola taste-off is now more than 90,000 people from 136 countries trying to sell their organic and natural foods to an ever-growing market segment of conscious consumers. Today, more than 30% of US homes now purchase organic food on a weekly basis. The big trends at this year's Natural Food Expo are plant-based everything, the promise of regenerative agriculture, CBDs and hemp innovation, and something I'd never heard of called catagenic diets, which consists of eating very low-carbs and high-fat foods. Well, David and Dana are on the convention floor, what's it like? I can tell
3: you, it is an actual zoo. I just walked. I just walked the floor for about an hour, and I've already walked a mile and a half. Somebody told me there's going to be 800,000 people here over the next couple days, and the guy who told me was from Vermont. He said that's more people than the entire state of Vermont that are going to be in this small area, and it's just getting more dense.
2: No natural daylight at all, just fluorescent lights, carpet... Miles and miles of people bumping into each other trying to grab free samples.
3: In case you've been to a large convention like Comic-Con or something like that, it's bigger than that, just so you have an idea of like how many people are actually here. Like, it's crazy. Are you
0: excited to interview some people? Yes. Let's
3: go check this place out.
0: All right. Our intrepid team of adventurers start by heading to the section of the expo focused on making food service wear out of plants. Dana meets up with Anush Agarwal and Kushmagra Pathak with Detox, a company making plates out of palm leaves.
2: This is amazing to walk up to this table after seeing just sea and sea of plastic, single-use plastic, and look at natural fibre.
4: So these plates, we make these from palm leaves, are totally natural, biodegradable, and the cool thing is no trees get hurt in making these plates because we make them from leaves that are already fallen down on the ground.
5: And so these
2: are pretty thick leaves, I mean. These leaves, they are like kind of broad and uh, they are dried in the sun and uh, washed. And then we shape them uh, by pressing them with heat and then cut them into shapes
4: of the plates.
2: So no chemicals are no used chemicals, in the No
4: chemicals, no resins, no coating, nothing. So why did you start this company? is we are both from India. Uh, So growing up, we grew up with a lot of products that were like this. So we wanted to introduce these to the Western world. That was one. Uh, Two is the area in India where these grow, um, it's very poor. The, The villagers are very poor. And they have this awesome natural resource that if we use it well and we market it to the world, we can actually give back to that community and do something good for those people.
3: How do you like being at this event? There's like so many people, there's multiple floors, there's how many football fields?
2: A hundred football fields, I got the number right.
3: This is amazing, this event is just awesome. Wow, that's good to hear.
2: So, who's coming by?
4: Uh, Actually, all kinds of people. We are getting a lot of interest from, you know, people who have their own restaurant.
0: Next, Cousin David, as he's bound to, bumps into an old friend, Darren Olien who's a superfood hunter and author of the book, Super Life, the five forces that will make you healthy, fit, and eternally awesome. Darren recently brought Brazil's Barucas Nut to global attention because of its superfood properties. David starts by asking Darren how he got started. I've been superfood hunting for 15 plus years.
5: I'm a blue collar person at heart. That's where superfood hunting came, and then when you really realize and you meet indigenous families and farmers from around the world, this, this preciousness of that connection and what they can do, and then get out some incredible medicinal plants and botanicals that people can really utilize in this day and age that we're getting stressed out about. That, that's the genesis of what superfood hunting came from.
3: How do you participate in what's happening here?
5: Yeah, I mean, obviously what we really love, we really love a direct connection to people. So if people want to buy it online, they certainly can do that. We have now brokers coming up to us and, and wanting to distribute. And people, the, the, the expression people give is fantastic because they immediately go, a nut I don't, haven't heard of? Um, and it's very interesting when you get presented with something, A, you don't know about, and B, when you taste it, There's no barrier to entry, meaning it tastes so good. That was what got my attention the first time, right? So it tastes kind of like a peanut. And then we did all the nutritional analysis on it, and it was superior than any nut we've ever Mm -hmm. seen. So that got my attention. When we traveled to Brazil and we saw that this biome, this this savanna, was being affected severely by cattle grazing and farming and unsustainable practices. You'd go and see this beautiful biome, but then you'd see the in-your-face destruction. If we provide an economy, then we can support this very precious Barrozeta tree and then create value back to the indigenous people instead of it being taken over by this unsustainable practice. So that's what we got really excited about because now it checked a taste box and now it checked a nutritional box and then it checked a fair trade working directly with over 10,000 families around the Sahadu. And then it also checked a massive box of an environmental protective plant that we want to help preserve. And what is super food hunting? Yeah, Well, it kind of came upon me in the terms of the desire to really understand foods, botanicals, herbs, nuts, seeds when I was starting to investigate them. So it wasn't good enough for me coming from Minnesota and a father that was an agricultural professor. It wasn't good enough for me just to learn about something. Um, it was better that I would go and meet the farmers, meet the collectors. So it was really an innocent journey of heading to the Amazons, heading to the mountaintops of the Himalayas and everything in between. And, and then when they taste it, they're like, wow, th- this is actually really good. So they're like doubly surprised. They don't know about it and it tastes so good. And then when we tell them the whole story, they're just like, wow, this is really voting for your dollars. So coming here and seeing the expressions is just like worth it right there. And so we're open. We're open to moving the message forward and also really doing a capitalism that's worth doing for everyone in the supply chain, and in the environment. We need that more than ever. And it's kind of insane to me that businesses don't put that work in because it's not a marketing story you need to spin. You just need to do the work and tell the real story. And that's what our team is committed to. And it makes me super proud of being a part of something like that. I have in my hand where the, the nut comes from, and there's actually a fruit layer on the outside, so we've discovered that you can shave that off, dehydrate it, bring that, put that back with the, with the roasted nut, and it becomes an alchemical, delicious coming together of the fruit and the nut, and so we made a trail mix on that. So that's the first stop. We've also added a, a brilliant sea salt to it, we're 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 looking into the butters we'll give you a sample we have some sample of nut butters as well and then if, love nut butter yes so you're nutty we'll, we'll we'll let you get into that and then of course the list keeps going with chocolates and things like that
2: and i'm looking at a picture of a gorgeous valley with mountains and evidently yeah. your your range of trees are, are these like the acai berry tree where it will only grow wild harvested or are you actually conventionally planting these in rows, tell us a little bit how they grow.
5: Yes, great question. So, the acai comes from more of the jungle-like area. This is the savanna, and the savanna can look uh, wild, it certainly is, um, but this is very much wild collected. And when you have a landmass the size of three states of Texas, that is an infrastructure that's very difficult to do. And But we're extremely proud of it, because Number one, you don't get access to wild food anymore in this day and age. And to be able to scale something so that many people can reap the benefits and many people who are gathering the fruit with us can reap the benefits of having consistent income. And again, it's something we're super stoked about. So wild food distributing out to millions
0: is our goal while we're planting millions of trees. Wow, that really made me want to try a baraku nut. Next, Dana discovers a fellow South African who's traveled from the Kalahari Desert with a unique salt. I just discovered pink Himalayan salt, so I'm intrigued to find out about its African sister. Dana talks with Samantha from Oryx.
1: I have a beautiful product called Oryx Desert Salt, and it's from the remote, pristine Kalahari Desert of South Africa. It actually tastes like real salt. <laughs> it is, uh, it's a very full and gentle flavor. It's like a fine wine. It comes with a very beautiful taste profile because the sauce is so beautiful. The, the salt pan is a 5,000 hectare salt pan uh, just at the very north of South Africa. And they discovered underground a 55 million ton salt lake. And this underground salt lake is fed by underground rivers that flow through rock strata 250 million years old. So the source of it is absolutely pure, unpolluted, and it picks up all the vital minerals and trace elements. 95% of all salt produced in the world is actually for industry, and only 5% is food grade. So what they tend to do is take industrial salt and put it in a product and call it salt, it's table salt. But it's also got a whole lot of other additives in. So this is an unrefined, unprocessed, sun-dried, and filled with all the minerals and trace elements.
3: Is that healthier for you?
1: The body knows what to do. It's, it's, the body sees it as a whole food, whereas sodium chloride with chemicals, um, the body actually doesn't know what to do with it. It does make the food taste salty and, and picks up the flavor, but the body doesn't actually relate or respond to it.
3: So why, why did you decide to come to Los Angeles all the way from South Africa <laughs> for this trade event?
1: Behind selling salt is also reminding people the importance of an unrefined, unprocessed salt, which I know Himalayan salt has done an incredible creating awareness that salt's not just salt. Um, Unfortunately, the Himalayan isn't a renewable, sustainable source.
3: What do you think of being here with all these people and the event? What's your take on it, the whole situation? It's
1: quite overwhelming. <laughs> I've traveled 25 hours on a plane um, to be here and share the information. And I, I really love sharing the story. So, And just to let you know, the reason it's called Oryx is I did a beautiful 75-mile, hun- uh, seven-day walk through the Namib Desert. And I had close encounters with the Oryx. And apparently, they can go their whole lives without drinking water, but they can't go months without drink, drinking salt or licking salt. So their hair is hydroscopic, and they absorb the moisture in the dew in the desert at night. And succulents swell in the evenings with the moisture, so they get their hydration from the succulents. And I only found that out after I'd chosen the, this logo, this Oryx Gazelle, as the logo for the product. Tell me something. Who lives in this desert human-wise? Um, This particular area, it's fairly uninhabitable because there's no fresh water. The two and a half hour drive from the closest town, so it's a very sparse region in in the world. The Kalahari
2: (laughs) Bushmen and this popular movie about the Kalahari Bushmen.
1: Monthly, we donate back to the Sand Bushmen, who are one of the original tribes. Fantastic. And can you tell
2: me, why is there salt out in a desert so far from the ocean?
1: <laughs> um, I guess it's, it's a bit like gold and platinum. They're these veins. And these. it just happens to be a region that is very rich in sodium chloride. And it leaches up from under the earth onto and creates these salt pans. Our pan seems to just where it's situated, um, it's a very white, pure salt pan. And then they discovered this underground salt lake. So it's just it's one of the beautiful natural phenomenon on the planet.
2: <laughs> what's your take home from looking at just the volume of choice here coming from South Africa?
1: Mm, I mean, it's it's beautiful to see what's available, what the new innovation is, um, all the various types of products that are, that are being produced nowadays. As
0: you know, I'm not a fan of disposable plastic straws, so I was glad that David and Dana somehow navigate the chaos to find Cindy Sladex and her daughter, Chanel. Prior to founding the glass straw company Simply Straws, Cindy was a dental hygienist for 31 years. Simply Straws is also a B Corporation.
6: So I just went home one day and talked to my daughter, and she's an environmentalist, and she goes, "Oh, Mom, you have no idea, but straws are really bad. And this is years ago before anyone started talking about straws. And I, I was like, really? And then we started researching it and found out that there were like 500 million plastic straws every day used in the United States, and that's really horrific. You know, why Why are we using plastic? We used to have, actually, paper. We used to have glass straws way back in the 50s. My husband said, hey, I think I can make some, make a really good straw. We decided it would be glass because it's the purest form of material you could use. There's nothing, you know, Stainless steel, you still have something leaching from it, silicone. You still have some problems with those things. He made them in the garage. It's really important for the environment because there's just no way to get rid of those plastic straws. And, but once you drink out of a glass straw, you won't want to drink out of anything else.
3: So you started it at home in the garage. So how do you make a glass straw?
6: It's been a real bonding experience for the family too. If someone breaks it, we'll replace it. So, because we believe that much in the straw. This is my daughter, Chanel, behind us. So why did you decide to become a beekeeper?
7: I mean, it's really the DNA of our company is, you know, to be a force for good through a product. You know, it's like conscious. We believe that conscious consumerism is the only future to save our planet. Like Patagonia says, they're in business to save the planet. I think the more corporate um, values that, that really make that a part of the DNA of their business, the more we really have a chance to succeed at that. Right. It would be naive to think that we won't have corporations in our future and that we go back to only being artisan businesses, I believe. There's a lot of benefits to corporate streamlining. What I love about it, I call us a baby bee because, you know, we're a much smaller company. I was just at the summit in Taos, New Mexico two weeks ago uh, where they were really looking at how can we, you know, use the bee corporation family to like be stewards for this climate change activism that's needing to be a focal point for all businesses, but especially for the ones that get it, that are awake to the problems. So like the Dr. Bronner's, the Ben and Jerry's, the Seventh generation, all these different uh, CEOs and sustainability departments got together and literally sticky noted all over the walls, different ideas, different ways until they came together with some common vision points. 1% of our gross sales goes towards these environmental nonprofits that we're working with. And that, goes, that helps us with our B Corp certification.
3: So why did you start this business with your mom?
7: Basically, she was getting arthritis in her hands, and she couldn't do dental hygiene anymore, which was pretty heartbreaking for her, but she wanted to stay in the dental field. Um, And she came up with this idea as a product for her patients to stay connected to them. She gave me the idea. I did a little research and was like, oh my gosh, 500 million plastic straws a day in the US alone. I'm like, this is insane. Nobody's talking about this. Like, I would love to talk about this and at least just start some conversations around it and see if we can get some people to convert into this utensil option. Um, So I said, I'll do it with you if you want. And I thought that just meant like build you a website and take some photos, you know, and here we are like six or seven years later still at it and now like with all the straw bands it's like such a fun time and now you're seeing these bands everywhere people are just scared of it at first because it looks breakable but we have a lifetime guarantee because we're like seriously do not be scared what person will give you a new cup if you break your glass cup you know like it is glass it is breakable but it's very very durable i prefer the glass so i can see through and and validate that it's clean we have our own cleaning brushes for those that leave their dried smoothie um, I travel with mine about 10 months out of the year. I don't even bring a cleaning brush because I just suck water through it when I'm done with my smoothies. So, When I
3: came here today, I thought we were going to talk to a bunch of like companies that made food, and instead we're talking to like a lot of companies around the food industry that have really innovative products that are B Corps, and it's just awesome.
7: Awesome. Well, thank you for coming by. We appreciate you connecting with our products.
3: Yeah, thank you, guys.
0: No
7: mar- Stop sucking, people. <laughs>
0: Dana and David have been around food all day, but hadn't actually eaten anything. So, before they get hangry, it's time for some nourishment.
2: What do you feel, David? You're about to eat fake meat.
3: I'm a huge meat eater. It's been an issue of some shame because I have. Uh, I, I know that the amount of land that's required to feed the cattle and uh, I just I know it's not good for you and I feel bad so I'm kind of excited to eat this to see if it's another opportunity or an option for me in my diet where I can eat something that I'm familiar with texture wise flavor wise and I know that it's not harming the environment and hopefully there's no GMOs in it and I won't feel you know I won't feel shame about what I'm eating honestly.
2: That sucks to feel shame about what you're eating.
3: No, it definitely does. I mean, look, coming to this whole event, like we haven't had an opportunity to taste that much stuff because we've been running around and it's like, it's the biggest thing I've ever been to in terms of like one of these corporate uh, expos. Like it's just so massive, like to go from one place to another takes you 15 minutes or 10 minutes. I haven't eaten yet today. So I'm doubly excited because I'm really, I eat quickly, but I'm going to probably inhale this food. I think this is part of a, a NASA science experiment. I could be wrong. I thought NASA like developed some of this so they could send people on really long trips, but we'll ask somebody that.
2: David just took his first bite of a Beyond Meat. His eyes are really big right now. David, tell us. How are those taste Nobody buds? could
3: tell me that that wasn't meat. Sweet. I mean, I, awesome. could, I could swear that that was meat.
2: All right. I think I might dive in. Wow.
3: It's like I, mince. It's real mince. I know, right? And it's brown, neat. and it looks... I know. It's, it's ridiculous.
2: What the heck is this made out I'm, of? I,
3: I, re- I honestly think that this whole thing started from some NASA scientists being like, someone's just going to go to space for six months.
2: I would put, like, cumin, coriander, and spice it up, but that's because I'm from South Africa. Um, but that tastes meaty. What, what is this made out of?
0: To find out the answer, Dana and David meet up with Alison Aronoff with Beyond Meat.
8: So it's made using a blend of pea, fava bean, and brown rice protein. We use coconut oil for fats. Uh, you have beet juice for some of that meaty red hue. Um, and there's no gluten, no soy, no GMOs, no antibiotics, no hormones, no cholesterol.
3: How did Boom. they? How did they make this? Like, how, is this grown? Is this like from a NASA experiment? Because I, so I think somebody told me like NASA helped create this. Like, where did this yeah. come from?
8: I love that story, I'm not gonna fact correct that story. Uh, so we have a really dedicated team of uh, scientists and researchers and developers that work at our lab in Los Angeles. And basically, at a, we start at a fundamental question, do you need an animal to build a piece of meat? Um, and we feel that there's two ways to define meat, origin, cow, chicken, or pig, or composition. If you look at meat, it's protein, fat, trace minerals, and predominantly water all of which can be sourced outside the animal and used to more efficiently and humanely produce a piece of meat. So we're rebuilding meat from the ground up, and we're doing so uh, while still delivering on the taste, the texture, the sensory experience. But it's better for you. It's better for the planet. It's a win-win. It's like, why, why wouldn't you choose that?
3: What's the main thing that you use in there to make it feel so authentic? Like, I'm eating it. I'm looking at it. It looks <laughs> like meat. It tastes like meat. Like,
8: Yeah, so uh, it starts with the protein, so the blend of pea, fava bean, and rice, we're getting a really fibrous and chewy texture, which mimics meat, and we run that through a proprietary process of heating, cooling, and pressure, which basically realigns the proteins and braids them together with the fat in the same structure of meat a lot of science in food, we don't think about it, but if you look at meat under a microscope, uh, the, the fats and the proteins, the way they're interwoven, we then mimic that and what you get in your mouth is then that same chew, that bite, that juiciness, that pops of fat and, and soft and then more gristly pieces. So we really are using the science in the lab and applying it in the kitchen. Anything that you make ground beef, you can use Beyond Beef for. Uh, Beyond Beef will be rolling out in retail and food service later in 2019 but you can currently find Beyond Meat products at more than 35,000 grocery stores and restaurants. We're now in over 20 countries, so UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Israel, UAE, South Africa. The reception globally has just been tremendous. You know, people want to continue to eat meat. They love to eat meat. We're not telling you not to eat meat. We're just giving you a better form of meat, which is plant-based meat there's been a research that says around 70% of people are reducing their meat consumption and around 66% are doing it more than they did a year ago and a lot of people, you know, they they love meat but again maybe their doctor said you need to reduce your red meat consumption or they're thinking about, you know, the future generations and and they're looking at climate change. And so people are increasingly pulling away from red and processed meat. This kind of is a win-win situation. Have your burger and eat it too. I don't
3: want to cut you off, but it's time for the sliders. I grew up eating hamburgers. It's probably one of my favorite foods. Mm. So I've eaten a lot of hamburgers in my day. The texture, it's it's grilled just like a hamburger. It's Mm. got a nice crunchy exterior. It tastes like a hamburger. It tastes like something that I've eaten like many times.
8: This has more protein than a beef burger. It has 25% less saturated fat. It has no cholesterol. It's like a win-win. And how does the
2: price compare?
8: So, we're still on par with a, a more premium beef, uh, maybe a grass fed or an organic. Um, but our goal is to drop the price as quickly as possible and eventually to underprice beef. And the only reason we can't at this point is because the supply chain is not mature enough. We are going after the 95% of consumers that eat meat and you know, to introduce them to the idea of plant-based meat is already a little bit outside their comfort zone and we felt that the use of GMOs was just a step too far and we didn't want to have that hurdle. How are you supporting um, agriculture in general? Can we shift the crop growing in the US and instead of growing corn, soy and wheat to be fed into the mouths of livestock, which then get produced to be meat, can we grow pulse crops Etc. Um, for human consumption, and if you can grow crops for human consumption instead of animal consumption, there's a good opportunity for money to be made. On the flip side of that, the University of Michigan completed a life cycle analysis, which looked at all of the inputs to make a beef burger, from you know growth of crops to shelf, and then they did the same thing for the Beyond Burger. And they found that the Beyond Burger uses 93% less land. So if you had a farmer who had 100 acres and he was growing crops, he could create the same amount of burgers in seven acres for us as he does in 93 acres for beef and so when you unlock I mean, it's, just cra- it's
3: just crazy you
8: unlock 93 acres what could he do with that he could do anything he wanted he could grow more crops not to mention
3: his yields are way down because he's been using a bunch of
0: really crappy chemicals for the right, last 20 some 30 percent. 40 years
8: yeah.
0: I'm so impressed with Donna and David I would have lasted about an hour at the expo and they're still going 8 hours into it but how are they feeling
3: I'm just exhausted. I just think when there's so many people, sometimes I just get fatigued. Plus, when you're like trying to move in and out, I feel like a salmon trying to go upstream. Like it's fatiguing.
2: Grand Central at 5 p.m. on a Wednesday night. Exactly. That's how old day
3: I just looked at my phone. I did three and a half miles walking today at just here, just walking around from booth to booth. I mean, I didn't go crazy, but I did sample a few things. I enjoyed it. I just like seeing that there's such a large community of people that care about, you know, creating innovative, healthy. I think they're healthy, but I don't know because I don't really interpret the data as much as you or Jared or somebody else. But it seems like a lot of people are putting a lot of effort into creating new products, new foods, more sustainable products.
2: Just asking people about organic and whether their products contained organic materials some of these larger companies saying, well, there's not enough organic supply, when I really think that if you're manufacturing, you have an obligation to go downstream in your supply chain and help those farmers transition towards organic so that if you've got a healthy plant-based version of something for people's health, well, it shouldn't be grown with a bunch of pesticides and chemicals. So I was a bit concerned, but I was really, really psyched to see so many wee corporations Um, I thought it was funny the one lady that we talked to from one of those companies saying natural doesn't mean anything like if you see natural whatever we're natural everything natural's just got no definition I thought that was kind of funny I cannot believe how big this show has become the last time I came was 15 years ago. Yeah. And this is insane. They said it was a 100 football fields long.
3: I mean, it's just, everywhere we looked. It was just like crowds. I mean, it was just so many people.
2: Well, and then you had like the supplements section, and then you had like the food bar section, and then you had CBDs. CBDs. That was everywhere and in everything, and neutropi- Neutrotropics, which is, I guess, brain supplements. So it was 3,600 vendors, and 700 of those were new people. So the marketplace is growing. Good for them. Yeah.
3: I hope, yeah. They, I hope they make money and I hope they continue to make, you know, positive strides towards creating more sustainable, healthier environmentally and healthier for our bodies products. And I think, you know, if, if they can be successful financially, they will.
2: I feel exhausted and trashed and really stimulated.
3: Thank you for, for coming down here all the way from uh, South Africa and uh, experiences with you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Let's go find some daylight because I haven't seen any today.
0: Talking of daylight, a huge thank you to Cousin David and Dana Smirin for exposing us to the world of the Natural Products Expo without having to actually go to the Windless Convention Center ourselves. That really is the beauty of podcasts. I have to admit to feeling a little overwhelmed by just listening to their excellent reporting. Also, a big thank you to all the folks that spent time talking with our dynamic duo. Big and small companies are realizing that consumers care about the health, environmental, and social impacts of food, and that if they miss out on this movement, they'll be losing money. So the good news is that there's a massive push into the natural food space. However, unlike labels like organic, which require a certification, natural foods can mean anything. So as the movement continues to grow, it will be critical to put some thought and energy into making sure natural actually means something tangible. I was thrilled that David's love of eating hamburgers can now be satiated without having to eat meat. If that isn't a breakthrough, I don't know what is. In the next episode of Podship Earth, we examine the importance of pollinators. In the US, $15 billion worth of crops are pollinated with bees, including apples, berries, cantaloupes, cucumbers, alfalfa, and almonds. And pollination helps at least 60% of our wild plants thrive. From bee colony collapse disorder to an 86% decline in Western monarch butterflies in California in 2017 alone, we explore what can be done to reverse these frightening trends. Thank you so much for being part of the PodShip Earth journey from the entire PodShip Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spade, executive producer and food correspondent David Kahn, and a special thanks to Dana Smirin, our South Africa correspondent, for her excellent reporting from Anaheim. And from me, Jared Blumenfeld, have a great week of healthy snacking.